Sirius XM Sports Podcasts presents Mad Dog's Daily Bite with Christopher Russo. And good afternoon, everybody! Seven-time winner of Grand Slams, three-time quarterfinalist at Wimbledon, does a wonderful job. And uh, he'll be fun here is Mats V. Lander. Mats, it's a pleasure. Long time no talk. Welcome here for the first time ever to our radio program. How you doing? Okay? Things good? I'm doing I'm doing great. Thank you so much, Chris. Yeah, no, I'm doing great. I just got to Sweden, left London this morning, and I'm in back home in my home country in Sweden to visit some family. But uh, yeah, I'm still uh, in uh, sort of in shock from that final. So that was absolutely exceptional. Yes. Uh, well, let's do that first. You want to put this final on the likes of Federer and Nadal, 9-7 in the fifth? You want to put it at that level as a sports fan? What? As a sports fan, I would. Um, it's not comparable, really, because uh, it's obviously a match that was full of anticipation. But because of what happened in the semifinals of the French Open, um, I think we were all a little concerned. Um, and then, of course, it's not the contrast of style as much as Nadal Federer in those days. Uh, so it's hard to compare. If you just talk about level. I say the level in this match is the highest level that's ever been played on that center court. But you, tennis is really not about level. It's about matchup and, and contrast of style and drama and whatnot. But, but in terms of level, I have to say that this was absolutely incredible and surprising. Even though he won the U.S. Open last year, it was a little bit surprising that he was able, Carlos Alcaraz, to do what he did and to do it with so much finesse and power and movement and smile on his face. I mean, the guy is an absolute genius to me. Yeah, he is. All right, so the level you liked, and I agree with you. I mean, Federer and Nadal are household names. I mean, 9-7 the 5th, the rivalry. This has not developed into one yet. So you're right about that, but you love the level. What did you think after set number one? Uh, after set number one, I thought that Alcaraz was going to come back somewhat. But I uh, never thought that he was going to be able to turn it around completely. But, you know, he, had, he was set point down in the second set in the tiebreaker. Djokovic missed, missed a couple of easy backhands, and which he ne- never does. Uh, it was quite windy, which we now have found out doesn't, uh, doesn't suit Novak Djokovic very well. He doesn't like to serve in the wind because his serve went down the toilet after it started getting windy. Um, and it wasn't windy in the first set. So, no, after the first set, it was sort of a nightmare scenario. Like, there's no way. Uh, just make it close for a little bit, maybe for a set or whatever. But uh, I never, ever thought Carlos Alcaraz would, would be such, um, and that's the best news of all, such a problem solver. Um, because at the U.S. Open last year when he won, it was more that he was fighting. And he was hitting all these shots, but he was fighting. And, and, uh, and here it was like, okay, you're not playing Casper Rude. You're playing Novak, but you're thinking cap. And he did. And that's what, for us, I don't really care if he wins or not. In a way, it's great to have a new face, and it's great to have him. But it's, it's great to find out that this guy is going to be there for the long haul. He's going to be there in every single match. Might not win 20 majors, because that's the impossible. But So he showed that part, and to us, tennis uh, fans, that's the most important part. I can count on him giving his best effort and trying to solve a problem. So that was the coolest part. And then he, when he wins, it's obviously amazing. hundred uh, percent. We'll get to the number of majors in a bit. This is Mats Vilander, folks. You know who he is. He's uh, one of the all-timers. We talked about it 
couple weeks ago because it was the anniversary of the classic St. Louis match against McEnroe in the Davis Cup. The same day that I saw a diner and I went to diner, came back, watched the tennis. I mean, I can tell you about that six hour and 22 minute marathon all you want. All right, how about start of the fifth set match? Uh, you know, Djokovic looked teetering in the third set. I mean, he played badly yeah, in that third set, um, got broken I mean, early. The- and then he came back and yeah. uh, started the fifth set. What were you thinking about? Let me hear your thoughts there. Yeah, I mean, obviously, when when Nova comes back in the fourth set after he broke his racket into the net post uh, and then comes back and wins that and he, he sort of mellowed out and then he has that look in his eye that that only Novak has, which is the, the combination of someone who is so... Uh, uh, calm in a way he's in his own zone but at the same time you see like there oh this guy is an absolute warrior and he's never going to lay down he's going to do this forever uh so there was that combination which is not a good when you see him have that in his eyes that's not good so yeah i think we all started thinking that there's no it's too good to be true if carlos alcaraz wins this now i mean who can beat novak on and on and on and then uh I mean, Novak didn't really dip um, to me. He, he wasn't his level. It was just Alcaraz that just came up with these crazy shots and drop shots and lobs. And I think that he was the one that sort of made Novak come up with a couple of unforced errors at the wrong time. But I think it's all down to Alcaraz's level just being, honestly, his level is higher than Djokovic when it comes to just hitting the ball and the movement and the shot selection. It's higher but obviously, Novak brings that other uh, intangible of mental strength and and uh, never give up and, and on and on and on. But in terms of just hitting a tennis ball, I mean, this guy's he literally is as good as Federer was when he was at his best, I think. 100%. Now, 1-1 uh, fifth set, break point, Alcaraz serving, and Djokovic got caught with basically yeah. hitting an overhand forehand instead of letting the ball bounce or hitting an overhead, and he netted it. If he doesn't do that, he might be up 2-0. It was an awkward shot. I'm sure you remember the one I'm referring yeah. to. What's your take on that? Let me hear your thoughts there. Well, yeah, so first, Chris, first I thought we were looking at it, and in, when, the, when the ball was in play and it was live, it looked like the ball was going to go out first of all. And then they showed a replay from lower down and literally right in line with the singles line, and the ball was not going to go out. But I would think there was a hesitation there from Novak uh, about it going out, because that's the worst feeling in tennis is when you're... Because uh, you, it's not a difficult shot, but when you're not committing to it because, oh, maybe it's, maybe it's going out, maybe not, that's a tough shot. But again, I think the wind picked up again in, in, um, in the fifth set. Uh, much more than than it was um, for for part of the match. I think that didn't help Novak. But again, no. I mean, I mean, I can easily, uh, honestly, tell anyone that I thought Alcaraz ha- has a chance uh, to win the match if we are only talking about hitting shots. But we're not, and that's why you just can't say that Nadal is not the favorite at the French, and you can't say that Novak is not the favorite. It doesn't matter how good the other guy is playing. So when he misses that. You realize that oh, there's there's doubt going on. He has to. He thinks he has to do more than than he normally has to against other guys. He's feeling that Carlos Alcaraz is not going away. He's mentally strong. He's quicker on the court. He's got better hands, um, but uh, just doesn't have the confidence and the experience. But uh, yeah, uh, that forehand was a. It was a bit weird, but there were a few strange situations with Novak, and I think the wind really was was tough for both of them. All right, Alcaraz serving at 5-4, fifth set, and Djokovic played a good game. 
It's just that Alcaraz made a lot of big shots. Are you surprised with the Wimbledon trophy right there at the doorstep? Are you surprised that Alcaraz played such a clean game? I am completely amazed that he starts the game serving. Okay, so he's serving from the side where the Royal Box is, is in his back. And that side was into the wind. And it was much harder for them to hold serve from that side, that we realized, than from the other side. But when he starts that game and gets the first serve in, and then he hits a drop shot in the net, that's when I went, oh, my goodness, this guy, he's 20, but you can't play tennis like that. On the big points, the little touch shots and the really, really hard, powerful shots, they don't go in when you get a little nervous and when it's a big moment. And then what does he do on the second point after missing that drop shot? He hits a forehand drop shot. Djokovic makes it, comes in, dinks it deep. And then he hits a teaser forehand pop spin lob over Novak's head. I mean, he could have just ripped it cross court and it would look, okay, I, I see what you were doing. I understand it because no one can react to his forehand. But he decides to go lob over Novak's head and he goes in. And that's when we're like, oh, this guy is absolutely, he's crazy in, the terms, uh, in terms of shot selection. No one has ever done what he's doing on a tennis court. Mackinac didn't hit drop shots when he's serving for, for the Wimbledon uh, trophy. Um, no one does that stuff, and he does it all the time. So, um, so I was surprised that he was able to pull it off because he started off so. I mean, I would have thought maybe a, a generic point, which is serve wide and then trying to get a forehand and hit hard and go fifteen love or love fifteen. Then you do the same thing, like more pattern, like like a Nadal would do or even a Djokovic would do. But he doesn't do that, and that's what's so refreshing. And then, of course, when he wins it, I mean, I think Novak was, honestly, I think he was shocked towards the end of the match. That I, I, I'm actually not going to beat this guy. He's, he's too good. I think he was. And I think you heard wow. that in his speech, too. I think, yeah, I think Novak was a bit. And he said afterwards, because everybody's been, and, I, and I'm one of them, because I've been comparing Alcaraz to the big three. He's got hands and shot selection skills of Roger Federer. He's got the passion of Rafa Nadal when he's, when he's in that mood. Uh, and then he's got the, the flexibility and the speed and the, and the court coverage of Novak Djokovic. And then he's got one more thing that they don't have, which is he does it all with a smile on his face. So um, Novak even said that in the press conference that I agree with some of you having said that he has taken a bit of, of all three of us. I agree with you guys. So I think the respect from Novak, that says it all. He's not going to say that if, if he doesn't feel that. He's going to say, I played terrible. Um, I should have won this match. Um, and here he doesn't. And I think that's all just respect for um, Alcaraz's mentality, attitude, and then game as well. And he hit a great backhand volley in that game, too. Let's not forget that. On a good passing shot by Nadal, cross, uh, by uh, Djokovic cross court, he made a very good backhand volley, which was not an easy shot. So let's give him credit for there, too. You're listening to Mats Wielander, folks. He, of course, was at Wimbledon yesterday, giving us some thoughts on a wonderful final. Give me a little rundown on the crowd. Uh, I mean, it seems like on TV it's 75% Alcaraz, 25% Djokovic, and that drives Djokovic crazy. Do I have the right percentage there? Give me a little rundown on the crowd. Go ahead. Let me hear. Yeah, you have, you're, you're close to the percentage. You might be underestimating, actually. I think it was more than 75, 25. Um, I think it's up there close to 90, 10, to be honest, because the, the English crowd, they, they, don't, they, they obviously like Nova because they like, the, like their champions, but they also want to see 
They want to see a match, and they root for the underdog. Um, and uh, with Novak, I think they're also having a bit of fun because he's going to react to them. So I think that the crowd, I don't know if genuinely they were necessarily for uh, if it was 90-10, but uh, the sound effects was definitely 90-10. When Novak was winning points at a certain stage of the match, there was really no applause at all. Uh, and I think for Carlos Alcaraz, there was all the time. But the difference is that, I don't know if you saw, did you watch him at the U.S. Open live last year? Uh, I didn't see him live. I watched every match. I didn't see him live. Go ahead, Matt. Let me hear. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So when you watch him live, you have uh, sound effects from the crowd. And it's now happened at the U.S. Open last year, French Open this year, uh, Wimbledon this year. The crowd is literally going, they can't help themselves, but they, whoa, oh, and it doesn't happen once a point with Carlos. It used to happen with Federer when Federer would sort of come, you know, he'd play a great point. He comes in and he sticks a backhand volley in the crowd, go, whoa, and the point's over. With Alcaraz, they do that three or four times per point sometimes because every move that he makes is, first of all, so quick. His feet are so quick. And you can tell with Novak Djokovic, you watch him and you realize that he's a great mover because he gets to everything. But when you just watch him move, sort of, it's smooth, it's flexible, but it's not explosive in the same way. When Alcaraz, you can hear the feet on the grass. They just they sound like a tap dancer. So that's the first thing that they oh, my God, he got to that. And then he smacks it as hard as he can. And then they go another, ooh. And then suddenly he throws in a drop shot. So I've never, ever seen any tennis player that, that has, um, where the crowd gets so involved in the point itself and the emotions that they feel because it's coming out of the mouth. I've never seen anything even remotely close to what the, what the atmosphere is. when he, It's like a big party. And what happens with that, that's the most important part, is that the other player actually joins the party and has fun with him. I mean, I'm not saying Novak was smiling and laughing, but every other match he played, his opponent is smiling and they're laughing sometimes and there's a big hug at the end, but they're competing really hard because, you know, they don't mind losing to him. He's a nice guy. He's a great player. So I think he's bringing something to our sport that we have never, ever had, uh, neither on the women's side or the men's side, but like way more involvement from the crowd than other uh, great champions in the past, mm-hmm. I have to say. Wow, I thought Novak in his post in his uh, on the court after was great, and I think he made a good yeah. point. He made a good point, match. You know, he's won a couple of these Wimbledon's where he was fortunate. Obviously, we know the one there, a couple of match points against Federer three or four years ago, where he was fortunate. Yeah. And he made the point. You know what? Maybe I'm even Steven. You know, maybe I was. You know, I could have won this match easy. I didn't, but maybe I owed the gods one because I've been fortunate a few times myself. I happen to agree with that. What's your take with that? Let me get your thoughts on it. Go yeah. ahead. Yeah, 100%. I mean, 100%. He, he, uh, he, he's, I don't know if even Steven. I think he might have to lose a couple more of these to be even Steven. But, <laughs> you, but might I mean, right. what, you might be right. You might be right. That's what great yeah. champions do. But, you know, I found out a number the other day that is that he's played 71 uh, Grand Slam tournaments now, and he's made the final 35 times. I mean, that's unbelievable. So the consistency of Novak, I think that um, what, what's really cool about Novak these days is that he still has his sort of attitude on court sometimes that, that you kind of wonder, like, why is he really screaming at his box right now because they can't really do anything? Uh, and then he gets upset with a crowd or he, he wipes the tear away in his eye very... Um, 
uh, sort of showing it off uh, when he was playing Yannick Sinner. And I think there were some people in there that was there was sort of not crying, but like, oh, that was really close. And he was like, uh, come on. So I, I don't mind all that, but I think that where the point he's gotten to in his career is that people, he's gotten the respect that he deserves for being such an unbelievable player, for being so serious and meticulous and public about every little detail that he wants right when it comes to the shirt, the fit of the, sh- the shirt that he's wearing, the fit of the shorts, uh, the support in his shoes, uh, his rackets. Apparently, he's such a pain in a good way uh, when it comes to the weight of his rackets and the balance of whatever. Um, I mean, he plays with lead tape on his frame on the outside, uh, on, the, on the inside of the frame on two sides. I'm like, can't they make a racket that's hit, that the, is the right weight? So, no, because he's most probably tinkering with that a little bit here and there. I mean, he's just so I think people are giving him the respect that he deserves. And then when he comes out and says things like he did in the speech and in the press conference, you, you really have to go, wow, this guy has grown from being a 19, 20-year-old um, who was complaining a lot, uh, who was retiring from matches, because it was too hot or whatever. So he really didn't have a... Um, it wasn't good in the beginning, the way... And then you had Federer and Nadal. They were such class acts. So I think the growth for me, for Novak Djokovic as a player and as a person, that's most probably the biggest improvement we ever seen in tennis. And he's so uh, diplomatic and genuine, I have to say, in all his speeches. And I really, I really like the, he's what a- he's saying and what yeah. he's doing. These class acts these days, but people, they like to get in his face because he's going to react to them. So they're having a bit of fun, I think, more than anything. Right. He's a good loser. He's a good loser. He never moans he's and groans. He he's a good yeah. loser. Um, uh, give me a little feel before you go. Mats V. Landry's in Sweden. Nice enough to do this spot for us here on SiriusXM. Uh, give me a, um, uh, give me a, is Alcaraz, be, do, do, the, do the young players like Alcaraz? I mean, is he, is he, friend, is he uh, popular in the locker room, so to speak? Let me get a thought on that. So he would be the most, one of the most popular guys in the locker room, 100% for sure. We were actually sitting the other day, uh, the day that uh, Andre Rublev uh, played the quarterfinals against Novak Djokovic. And, and these days uh, at Wimbledon, they have literally, they have cameras in every hallway. They don't have cameras in the locker room. That's where it ends. But they have cameras in every hallway, uh, in the transportation hallway, by the transportation. So you can literally uh, watch what a player does nearly all their cameras in the restaurant. What a player does all day, every day. And there was a funny moment where Alcaraz is standing outside the locker room and Andre Rublev goes past him and he pinches his butt. You can see it. He pinches him like, oh, there you go. That's it. We don't need to know anymore. Andre Rublev is like the nicest guy in the world. He's crazy on the court. So nice outside. And when oh, really? he does that, to, mm. yeah, when he does that to Carlos Alcaraz, that for me, that's like, oh, okay. So he's a great guy. And that's what you see with the handshakes and the hugs and, and the interaction during the match between Alcaraz and whoever he's playing. There's a, you know, there's, a, there's a respect for him as a player, of course, but more as just a young 20-year-old um, that is such a nice guy. I interviewed him a couple of times, and he's, just, he's such a class act at such a young age with that amount of talent. There, there has to be a downside. I mean, I know you have John McEnroe on your show all the time, and there was, a, <laughs> there was a bit of a downside to John's talent, right? Which was he was a oh, little bit Oh, we know. Oh, absolutely. We know. Yes. <laughs> 
And, and that didn't happen. Federer, same thing when he was young. There was a downside to all that talent was that he used to go crazy. He used to break rackets. His parents used to have to take his rackets. Carlos Alcaraz doesn't have that uh, in him at all. Even though he's as talented. I mean, he would be as talented as I've ever seen anyone in, in so many departments. Uh, movement, uh, power, feel, uh, brain, stamina, all of it. And he is just a great guy. So, no, he's there to stay. And, I mean, he's... He's so important for our game right now, Chris, because Novak is obviously on his way out. That's oh, he, you know, he's important. Yeah, you know, we, I, he, yeah. he needs to. I agree. All right, let's um, over under majors for Alcaraz. If I put it at fifteen, would you go under or over? I would go. Um, I would potentially go over um, because I mean the only way the only way he's not going to win fifteen, honestly, is if he gets injured. And the problem with his foot speed and his leg strength is that he might get injured because he is too fast for, it's just not. And he can get to things and he can, he's trying for everything and he's going to put himself in situations that you're not supposed to human, put a human body in. And that's the only, only thing that I can see that's going to hold him back from winning 15, honestly. Plus he can win all four. He doesn't have a, a typical game. Oh, absolutely. He can yep. adjust. He can adjust, and I mean, uh, yeah. No, he really, really is the real deal. I mean, we kind of thought that at the U.S. Open last year, but you got to back it up. Emma Raducano, if you remember, is the is the real deal. But she's been literally hurt since she won the U.S. Open a few years back. So um, Alcaraz just doesn't. Ha- he's not going away. He's easily the best of the new crop, and he's going to push the ceiling higher up. And they better get on their horses because he's going to run away from them very quickly if they don't catch him. I think that he could do what Federer did before Nadal came up, where Federer was literally winning everything except uh, the French Open when Nadal started winning. Um, but yeah, otherwise, I could see that. Controlling. Oh, yeah, I, I he, could see Alcaraz that. is that good to me. Now, I agree. And last thing, Djokovic, do you think this will motivate him to play great at the tail end of his career? Or do we see a little bit of the beginning of the end? Now, yeah, I think we see the we see the beginning of a, a, a comeback path where he, I think, is going to be so furious about this. And uh, he, I mean, he definitely he doesn't talk about it, but I, he definitely wants to get to twenty four minutes so that he can tie Margaret Court and put that discussion to to rest of who was the greatest ever. I think he wants that title, but apart from that, I don't think it matters for him if he's got. 26 or 27. I think it's about matchup and about day to day. And I think he absolutely loves playing uh, a guy like Alcaraz in the Wimbledon final with all that comes with that. I think that he's going to be more fired up. I think he'd be more dangerous at the U.S. Open because he lost. Uh, and now he knows that, okay, so this guy is playing like this. I need to start making a few changes. I don't know what they are. And I need to make him in the, the lead-up tournaments. I need to make him in every single match. And I need to make him the first few rounds of the US Open. Because when I get to Alcaraz, I need to have this down. So I actually think he's going to be more motivated uh, by it. And also, you have to keep in, I think, the, the fact that he wasn't vaccinated, wasn't allowed to play the US Open, wasn't allowed to go to the Australian Open. He's had a lot of rest in the last three, four years uh, because of this whole COVID thing. And I think he's so ready to go. And this was just... a. a like, what? I lost? I can't imagine that I was going to lose this match, and I think it's going to fire him up. I think we've got another, at least another two years um, 
of Novak Djokovic dominating in the majors, and I, and I don't see anyone else uh, beating him than Alcaraz, to be honest. Excellent job, Matt. I really appreciate it. I know you're busy and you travel today and you're in Europe, so I, I appreciate a few minutes. We'll get to you again. You did a great pleasure. job. Thanks very much. It's a great pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Want more Chris Russo? Listen to Mad Dog Unleashed weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Mad Dog Sports Radio, Sirius XM Channel 82. Mad Dog's Daily Bite is part of the Sirius XM Sports Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts.